Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Minds on Mental Health podcast. My name is Andy Dean. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And today is the third and final part in a three-part series that we've been doing with Araceli Reyes. Araceli is a licensed social worker as well as a primary therapist at the Women's Program at Penn Medicine Princeton House Behavioral Health in North Brunswick, New Jersey. In this series, we've been discussing intergenerational trauma through the lens of the movie and concept. And today we talk about some more roles using the characters as examples, as well as how to navigate the situation if you recognize your family in any of the material that we talk about. So I hope you guys find it useful and enjoy the podcast. So we've kind of talked about the rescue or caregiver role, the bystander role. Um, what's the other, what are the other roles again? And, and how can we think about them in terms of the characters? The other roles are a perpetrator and which Awela would be that, but it, she ranges in mm-hmm. terms of how much she occupies that role because mm-hmm. she also wants to present a certain way to everyone. So she probably bounces back between that rescuer caregiver role and perpetrator role. Okay. When it comes to victim role, I don't Can see I stop any... you for one second? Oh yeah, go ahead. Go okay. Ahead. So I know that you said that Abuela can kind of bounce back and forth between rescuer caregiver and this perpetrator role. Can you just explain again what the perpetrator role is? So the perpetrator role is when we engage in that role, we mirror a lot of behaviors from our past perpetrators or the aggression within our past trauma. It can be experienced as a lot of rage, um, verbally or physically attacking others, holding a lot of resentment, mm-hmm. being very reactive, being very easily triggered by okay. different things, Okay, and can involve the abuse of others. I guess in terms of this movie, we can think of it as... Maybe volatility or anger, because yes. um, yes. like it's not like Abuela is like physically aggressive with these characters or anything, but she does have sort of this angry, um, mm-hmm. reactive there's, side to her. Yeah, there's more of the psychological, emotional um, connotations of mm-hmm. abuse that Abuela tends to perpetrate. Okay, so. The other thing that I heard you say that when we're sort of talking about this is that she kind of bounces back and forth between caregiver um, and perpetrator. And I guess I'm wondering if that's something common that we can see when we're talking about these different roles. Like, I'm assuming that nobody fits perfectly into one of these categories and they can kind of bounce back and forth like that when we bring it into the real world. Is that true or is that not how that, I should be thinking about it? That's correct. People okay. can move through these roles. Mm-hmm. Different situations, different contexts can elicit a different role. Okay, so nobody will really fit neatly and perfectly into one of these boxes all the time, but they can bounce back and forth between sort of going through these different emotions or going through these different stages, playing these different roles. Exactly. Okay. That's helpful. Okay. So there's the the perpetrator role. And then, uh, I'm sorry, I, I interrupted you. What was the, what was the last one again? Did you say a victim? Uh, a victim role, okay. which looking at the entirety of it, of the, like the cast and the family, I don't really see anyone really fitting that at that moment. Okay. Just explain sort of what that is one more time. Sure. When we're in victim role, we're stuck in the moment of our trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I usually give a metaphor when I'm teaching this particular psychoeducation to the groups here that let's say you're walking along a path and then you out of nowhere just fall into a ditch. The first emotion one would feel is probably shock and kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm here. Mm -hmm. How did this happen? And very distressed. And then later on, we're going to be thinking about how to problem solve out of it and things of that nature. But when we're, we're in trauma victim role, we're stuck in that initial moment of, oh my gosh, this is happening to me. What am I going to do? That distress is what you're stuck in. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like we can't problem solve out of it. We can't ask for help because we're stuck in that moment of distress. And that's what it feels like to be in trauma victim role. So in this example that you give, basically, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like the point is, of course, like you're going to have these emotions and these experiences when the thing actually happens, because of course you're going to feel scared and distressed if you fall into a ditch. But in this trauma victim role, you know, that those feelings and those thoughts and those emotions can come back when, you know, you're in the grocery store or when you're, um, when you're just having a conversation with someone, it's almost like those feelings and emotions are are coming up at times where it's not, where the danger isn't present anymore. Yes. Is that, is that correct? That is correct. Okay. So I guess you're saying that there's not really a character that this happens to in the movie, but should we be thinking about this in terms of like flashbacks almost? Like, is that kind of what we're talking about here? Like someone who is constantly experienced seeing flashbacks of the trauma- traumatic event? That that can occur. Okay. Yes. When someone experiences flashback, it, if they don't have the skill set yet to kind of attend to that flashback, it can elicit a victim role response. Oh, okay. But not necessarily because it could also elicit a perpetrator response or a bystander response. Right. The symptom and the role is not mutually exclusive. Gotcha. It could really kind of switch depending on the person. Okay, that makes sense. Oh, I know what we could do. When Louisa, Louisa, when she gets weak and loses her power, it's especially in the scene where the powers are weakened and she says, I'm feeling weak. Mm-hmm. And she's walking up the steps and she's crying mm-hmm. and very emotional. And then we transition to when Mariano comes to dinner and she's just beside herself. Um, we would see that as almost as an example of kind of victim role behavior mm-hmm. where she feels so stuck because she does not feel strong anymore. She feels weak and gotcha. she just shuts down. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah, no, perfect example. Again, Louisa, we're, we're coming for you on this podcast, Louisa. <laughs> I can see who's your favorite. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if she's my favorite. Uh, I do like her song the best. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, it is a good song. It's a good, it's a good one. So have we kind of run through all these different roles that we're talking about? I want to jump back and review more the perpetrator role and really use a whale as behaviors as an example of that. Probably the most apparent one is all the, the little kind of statement she says to Maribel about when they're setting up for Antonio's party, that why don't you let the people with the gifts do the work and you just maybe need to stay to a side. Mm-hmm. That kind of, holds like a low intensity anger to that statement. And then when Maribel 
kind of reconciles with her sister and Awella comes into the house and she sees that Isabella is on in all these different colors. She just yells at Mirabelle, just saying, I don't know why you didn't get a gift, but I, you shouldn't be taking it out on your family. Mm-hmm. You're messing everything up kind of thing. Yes, yeah. you're messing mm-hmm. everything up. How can you do this to your family? And just really kind of going at her. And that's an example of what a perpetrator behavior within the context of that role could look like. Because within that trauma lens, Abuela is reacting to a threat. The threat is the family is breaking down. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be the way she wants it to be or envisions it to be. And Mirabelle's just a threat and I need to bring everything back into order. So she just yells at her. As we could see, it didn't really work to her benefit because it led to the destruction of the house. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad you went back because I think that's a perfect example. You're right. There's like this sort of undercurrent of anger. She's constantly putting, she's constantly putting Maribel down, even in like subtle ways sometimes. I just think that was a really good example. So I'm glad you, you stopped me and we went back. And other members of the family in those moments where they're observing it, at times kind of take a bystander role. They kind of like give Mm. a sad look, but they don't really intervene to kind of correct Awela or say, hey, let's not do that. The only one who did something somewhat to that degree was Maribel's mom, where she says, hey, this is a hard day for her in regards to Antonio's party. Um, But that's all we got from that. So that's also an example of how people can really be fluid in these different trauma roles. There's not just one that occurs for every situation. Right. Beautiful example. Can you just tell me one more time where the idea of these different roles came from? The ideas of these different roles came from Judith Herman. And if anyone wants to read more about it, her book, Trauma and Recovery, which discusses this trauma triangle, is one of the mandatory readings for staff of the women's program. And it really goes into what the trauma triangle, which those roles come from, and what the roles are. So did you say it's called trauma in recovery? Trauma and recovery. Trauma and recovery. (laughs) That makes more sense. Okay, great. Okay, so I think we've done a pretty good job so far of discussing what intergenerational trauma is and what it can kind of look like. I guess what I think would be important to discuss is maybe like if someone's listening to this and they recognize that maybe this has happened to them or they can kind of see themselves in some of the things that we're talking about or they've experienced a traumatic event. Like, what should they be thinking that they can do about it? I I don't want people to get a sense from listening to this that things are hopeless. Obviously, there are things people can do to address it. So, like, what are those things? What would you say to that? What I would say to that is that it's definitely not hopeless. Mm -hmm. There is hope. And trauma treatment is very effective. If you see yourself struggling with certain symptoms, you've experienced a trauma or you've known a um, direct family member who's experienced a trauma and it kind of rippled throughout the family, seek treatment. Buzzwords to look for with outpatient providers is ask them if they're trauma-informed or trauma-certified. Mm-hmm. Because then they will have the skills in order to help you get to where you want to be. 
also you can do this on an individual level and then once you've gotten your own treatment you could expand it to the family um having family therapy especially if there is a trauma that occurred throughout different family members it may be helpful to seek out the support of a family therapist who has Mm -hmm. a background in trauma there's definitely hope there's definitely things we can do to help you not struggle with these symptoms or responses anymore. Yeah, and I think that's an important distinction to make because so many of the things that we talk about or when we think about mental health, oftentimes it's on the individual level. And this thing that we're talking about today is different in a way because it's really about how this trickles down or how this stuff can trickle down to other members of the family and that family dynamic Um, so really, I think what you're saying is that there's two parts to this work. One is the individual level. How does this affect me? How do I react to certain things because of maybe what I've been through in the past? Um, how can I go about finding new coping skills to deal with that or or changing some of those patterns? And then the second part is, and how has all that stuff affected other people? And let's start helping them work through some of that. Um, so there's like the individual component and then the family component or the family dynamic component. Yes, a hundred percent. And then I think one thing that I often like to bring up on here too, is that just sort of being educated about this stuff can be extremely helpful. And I think that's a, a big part of why treatment is helpful sometimes. Like just knowing that, oh, Hey, I do have some of these patterns and obviously, other people are also experiencing this and that's why there's sort of this framework. So A, I'm not alone. B, I think just having sort of that education helps because then you're able to recognize it when it pops up. So I know that you um, brought up the book by Judith Herman. It's Trauma trauma and Recovery. Are there any other resources that maybe we can make people aware of to help get some of that information? Another big name in trauma treatment and her work is strongly incorporated into the treatment we do into the women's program here is Janina Fisher. Mm -hmm. And she recently released a um, workbook that's geared towards not only clients, but also to therapists, or it could be done together with your therapist. And that book is called Transformist transforming the living legacy of trauma a workbook for survivors and therapists by janina fisher what that material does is that it gives you a lot of the primary trauma education material but also a worksheet to kind of use to kind of personalize it to you Mm -hmm. some people do it on their own i highly recommend that if you're currently in treatment to kind of bring this as a joint exercise between you and your therapist. Beautiful. All right, I have one more question for you before I let you go. So I guess my thought is just how should the younger generation approach this topic with the older generation if they recognize themselves or their families or a family member in this material? Um, You know, is there a benefit to them addressing this with the older generation is it just helpful for them to recognize that this exists i mean is it helpful for them to know what what the trauma was that maybe caused some of these family dynamics i realize i just threw like five questions at you so um 
but I think you know what I'm getting at. Like, how should I the do. younger generation sort of approach this? I think the operative word we should be using is not addressing, but acknowledging mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. the culture of the older generation they weren't really exposed to the idea that this is something we talk about. And sometimes just acknowledging the elephant in the room, especially if the younger generation does know there was a trauma. Dad or or grandpa or grandma were in the war. They had combat experience or there was a devastating loss within the family. We can acknowledge that. It may not be helpful to say, hey, let's talk about it, but just bring it to the family member. Be like, I know this happened. I know if I was in that position, it would hurt a lot. And if you ever want to talk about it, I'm here. And if you ever feel like we need to go to a professional to talk about it, I can help you get Mm. there. So not talking so much about the actual trauma itself, but just kind of acknowledging that maybe something happened and, you know, putting yourself in it saying, I could imagine that, you know, it would be really difficult for me if I had to go through something like that. And, you know, I'm, I'm here for you if you ever need support uh, around it or, or you want to go talk to someone about it. Acknowledgement is very important because we can acknowledge, identify that it's there And give the person who we're directing that to the ability to choose whether they want to share it or not. Because they may not be ready, they may not be able to, they may not want to. And a lot of times with trauma, you don't get a choice. Mm -hmm. And just allowing that choice to be made for them is very healthy. Well, Araceli, I just really want to thank you for being here. I actually had a lot of fun talking about this. Uh, Again... A large chunk of my life recently has been devoted to watching Encanto, so um, it was fun for me to psychoanalyze some of these characters with you a little bit, and I I enjoyed it. So again, thank you for sort of bringing the idea of this topic to my attention. It was uh, interesting and kind of a fun way to, to think about this. Thank you for having me. And it's nice we get to talk about Bruno and he doesn't have to be locked in the walls. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs>